And so as you are grabbing your seat, I would ask you to grab your Bibles. I hope that you have them with you and open them to the book of Genesis chapter 36. Got good news for you this morning. We decided to just do one chapter uh, this week after three last week. So uh, you should be out of here by lunch or this evening at least. Uh, so Genesis chapter 36, and just a quick reminder, if you're, if you're new with us, we're working our way through the book of Genesis, and last week we covered Genesis chapters 33 through 35, and where we left off in chapter 35, we see God reminding Jacob of the covenant promise that he had made to him. You see, Jacob had uh, made a couple more missteps, and in fact, Jacob had even decided to set up shop in a place called Shechem, and as you know, God's not a big fan of these guys settling down. He wants them to be totally reliant upon him, and that's why they are called sojourners, right? Just like his father Isaac and like his father Abraham, Jacob is called to not be a man that possesses the land yet, but to be a sojourner in the land of promise, fully relying upon God. And so God reminded him of that promise that I'm going to make you into a great nation and a multitude of people will come from you and kings will come from you. And so God even expands the covenant promise to include kings at this point in chapter 35. And then chapter 36, we're going to pick up with the genealogy of his brother Esau. So the book of Genesis follows this pattern as God wraps up part of the narrative for the chosen line, he always takes the time to record for us what happens with the unchosen line just so that we understand in full context what's going on here. And this morning as we look at Esau's genealogy, which by the way is, is way, way powerful, um, just a little bit for me to admit to you here this week. When I first uh, started out thinking, man, it's, it's just another genealogy, God very quickly reminded me of the power of his word, even in these genealogies. And God used this this week to just wreck me and my spirit. And so I pray that God would challenge you the same. But what we're going to see here is a man in Esau who represents everything about the world and yet prospers. In fact, it even appears as if maybe he's the one who God has given the covenant promise to and not Jacob. And so Jacob is going to face potentially his greatest test yet. It's always difficult to be patient and content when everyone else around you seems to be prospering. And that's the challenge that Jacob's going to face. And ultimately, the challenge that Jacob's going to face in this whole ordeal in chapter 36 here is the challenge of who is he going to trust and believe. You see, Jacob has to make a decision. Am I going to believe what I see and what I feel, or am I going to trust in what God has said? And that's a powerful distinction that we're going to take a look at this morning. So pray with me as we... Before we jump into this text, Father God, I pray this morning that you would use Genesis chapter 36, God, to challenge us in unbelievable ways. And God, ultimately, we're just like Jacob, and we're not perfect people, we're sinners, and we fall, 
And God, we're restored back. And the most important thing, God, is that we are not perfect, but we desire to do what you've called us to do. And God, like Jacob in this text this morning, I pray that you challenge with us, God. God, I pray that we would trust in what you've said more than we trust in what we can see with our eyes and what we feel with our emotions. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you begin reading with me this morning in Genesis chapter 36, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 to get started today. By the way, I've never spent more time in my life learning how to pronounce names than I did this week. So we're going to give it our best shot. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Adah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Ohalabama, the daughter of Anna, and the granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite. Also, Bashamoth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Mabajoth. And Adah bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Bashamoth bore Ruel, and Ohalabama bore Jeush, and Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. If you're looking for baby names, there are several <laughs> in the text that we just read that I would love as your pastor to, to be able to experience with you. Um, so go for those. But what we see here in the text, these first five opening verses here in Genesis chapter 36 is, again, the record of Esau. This is telling us a lot about Esau, and from what we already know about Esau, and from what we gather from Esau here in these first five verses, we know that Esau is not a man of God. We know that Esau is a very carnal man. We know that Esau is a man who does whatever Esau wants to do. Very much a contrast to Jacob. While Jacob is not a perfect man, Jacob's desire at the end of the day, is to follow after God. Even when he fails, his desire is to continue to follow after God. Esau has no such desire. In fact, the first verse there reminds us that Esau has a name change like Jacob has a name change. And it emphasizes the fact that Esau is Edom. Remember, Jacob's name changes in the positive sense. No longer will you be called Jacob, but from now on, you're going to be called Israel. So God's name change for him is in the positive. Esau's name change is towards the negative. You were Esau, and because of your despising of your own birthright, from now on, you're going to move forward and be known as Edom. There's a direct connection here to Esau's rejection of his birthright. And ultimately the giver of the birthright. And the giver of the covenant of promise. And so it just reminds us here that this is who this man is. This is no man of God. This is a man of the world. This is a man who does whatever he wants to do. We're reminded even further in verse 2. It says, he took his wives from the daughter of Canaan. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 28, what were the boys instructed to not do? They were to not intermarry with the people of Canaan. They were not to take wives from Canaan. And so Esau does what Esau wants. Not only will I take one wife from Canaan, I think I'll take two wives from Canaan. 
Who's going to do anything about it? So Esau takes two wives, both from Canaan, and then he overhears a conversation in chapter 28 with his parents where they are upset with the fact that he's taken Canaanite wives. Remember, mom says, I don't want Jacob to take Canaanite wives. We need to send him to our fathers of the land so that he can find somebody. And Ishmael, in overhearing that, knows that mom and dad's not very happy with him. And so what does he do? He does what any good son would do, right? No, he, he in fact does something just to spite mom and dad. Mom and dad don't like this. Well, then that sounds like exactly what I'm going to do. So he goes and he takes a daughter from Ishmael, daddy's brother. And so he's going in the direct opposite direction of God. And again, this is just a reminder to us of who this man is in direct contrast to who Jacob is. While neither of them are perfect men, one desires to go God's way, the other desires to go his own way. And it reminds me this morning of something very profound. So a first thing in our text that I want to remind us of today is that we must never confuse God's kindness with his approval. We must never confuse God's kindness with his approval. You see, if you put yourself in Jacob's shoes for just a moment, you might begin to question God a little bit. God, why does it seem like Esau can do whatever he wants and nothing happens to him? Me, on the other hand, every time I stray just a little bit, your hand of discipline is strong and swift, right? Remember when Jacob even tried to just set up a home base in Shechem, God was swift to bring about discipline to correct Jacob and remind him that that's not what he's called to do. And yet Jacob is sitting here looking at his brother Esau who's taking Canaanite wives and doing whatever he wants and it doesn't seem like God is really doing much about it. It's a powerful reminder that we must not confuse God's kindness with his approval. You ever been to this place before where you looked around and wondered that yourself? You saw unbelievable sin and incredible evil and wondered to yourself, God, why are you not doing something about this? For some of us, it's things that we see going on in, in our world. For some of us, it's the righteous anger of seeing little being done for unborn children in the womb. It brings about a righteous anger. And if, if we just go down that path, we come to a place where we're like, God, why are you not doing something here? Why are you not stepping in? Why is your, why is your hand of discipline not coming in here? And we're, we're reminded that God is a God of kindness. But we should never mistake his kindness for approval. For some of us, maybe you've been in this position uh, simply sitting in traffic recently. <laughs> you ever had somebody cut you off and just think, man, a blown out tire right now would be about what you deserve, right? God, if you just give them, or, or, or man, if there was just a please, please, God, let there be a state trooper over the top of this hill, right? God, I want you to give them what they deserve. This happened to me not too long ago as I'm flipping through the channels. I don't do that too often, but I stop on a late night TV show, late night talk show. 
and the host and the person that he's interviewing are mocking God and mocking followers of God. And as I sat in my seat, I thought, God, how incredible would it be if you just struck them down right now as they sat on this show for mocking you? And they would deserve it. But as soon as the words are coming out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit is shouting into my head, yes, justice for them, but grace for you. Man, you talk about a heart-wrenching moment when the Holy Spirit immediately kicks in the door of my pride. God, I want justice for those around me, but I want grace I want grace for myself. And you see, that's the reminder here. You want to know why God demonstrates kindness to those who don't deserve it? Because in Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God is not kind to those who don't deserve it because he's approving of what they do. God is kind to those of us that don't deserve it because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. That's God's desire in all of our hearts. And it makes me grateful for the fact that God did show grace to me. And it makes me grateful for the fact that God's patience and kindness did not run out. That his long-suffering didn't end when Jeremy was 15 years old. Because if it had run out when I was 15, I would have gone to a very real place called hell. But God in his grace and his kindness and his patience and his long-suffering allowed enough time for me to come to saving faith in Christ. And the same is true for every single person in this room. You see, if God would have done what he should have done all the way back when Esau was going on, none of us in this room would have ever experienced the grace of God and the salvation that he provides. And so it's a powerful reminder to us this morning as we look at Esau's life and we're reminded that this carnal man that wants nothing to do with the things of God and appears to be getting away with it is not getting away with it because God approves of his life, but because God is extending kindness and grace and long-suffering towards him. And that's the challenge for all of us here this morning. The next time we see someone far from God, understand that the kindness they are experiencing in this moment or in this life is because God's desire is for their salvation. That we would be people that our hearts would break for their lostness. That we wouldn't wring our hands hoping that they would get what they justly deserve. But instead we'd be reminded of the grace that we've experienced and that we would weep for their salvation. Continue reading on with me in verse 6 this morning. Verses 6 through 8. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all of his household and his livestock and all of his cattle and all of his goods which he had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to another land away from his brother Jacob. For their property had become too great for them to live together and they were 
they, excuse me, and the land where they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So in this powerful turn of events, Esau is benefiting from the blessing of God in the land of promise, no different than Jacob is. In fact, the Bible tells us here that they are both so blessed that they literally cannot stay together. They have so many people in their family and so many animals in their herds that the land in this particular location could not sustain them. That is an unbelievable sign of blessing here. And so when they decide they can't stay together, it's Esau that looks for a new place, which follows the biblical pattern. If you remember Abraham and Lot, they experienced a very similar thing. And what happens every time is the chosen line stays in the land of promise while the unchosen line finds a new place to live. And so Esau, looking for a new place to live, looks around and makes his decision not based upon any of God's leading or direction, but based upon, again, what he can see with his eyes and what he desires in his own heart. And he looks and he sees a land called Seir. And it's a land that is very promising, a land that he desires for his own possession. And in fact, he goes to that land and he takes possession of that land, dominating the people that are there and continuing to flourish at an unbelievable rate. While Jacob is still in the land of his sojournings, he and his sons dwelling in tents. And it leads us to our second reminder this morning that we must never confuse God's will with prosperity. We must never confuse God's will with prosperity. You see, Esau is off doing whatever Esau wants to do. And not only is God not judging him immediately, but he's flourishing. He's experiencing prosperity at an unbelievable level. While Jacob is simply looking around, still hanging out in tents, and God won't even let him build a house in Shechem. And it's a powerful reminder to us that we must never confuse God's will with prosperity. And so many times we get this messed up and we get this twisted and we get this backwards. And I think it's because we use a very simple formula that's been around since the beginning of time. And that simple formula is this. If I do good, then good will happen to me. And if I do bad, then bad will happen to me. It's the root of the prosperity gospel. If you would just this, then God must this. And in this story, we see that that's not true. Not only is it untrue, it's a completely unbiblical thought. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible doesn't teach this simple formula of if you just always do what's right, then you should expect great things to happen to you. And if you do bad things, then bad things will happen to you. And if we're not careful here and we, we prescribe to this way of thinking, we will become very confused and we will not be able to understand the human experience. Because what's going to happen is you're going to wake up one day and you're going to look across the street at your neighbor's house who cares nothing about Jesus and you're going to see his brand new Escalade sitting in the driveway 
And you're going to go out and get in your car that three of the doors don't even open on. And one window is rolled down permanently. And you're going to wonder to yourself, why does that guy who doesn't love you or care anything about you have what he has and I'm stuck with this? It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. You remember a man in scripture by the name of Job? Job didn't prescribe to this way of thinking, although Job's friends prescribed to this way of thinking. You see, Job was incredibly blessed by God. Anything that Job wanted, God gave to Job. And then Satan comes to God one day and says, this is too easy. All I got to do is take away a little bit of stuff from people and they curse your name. Too easy. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man that has a multitude of possessions. But you could take him all away and I, I guarantee you he won't curse me. And so they go down that road and many of Job's things are taken from him. And you know what Job's friends show up and they say? Job, what have you done? What great sin have you committed or are you committing to deserve this? You see, his friends prescribed this simple formula. Job, if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, then you would be experiencing blessing. Only those that are outside of God's will experience terrible things like this. And the whole book is a reminder to us that almost the exact opposite is true. Look throughout scripture at the people that God has used in powerful ways. Almost all of them experience unbelievable trials and pain. And it's because God uses those things in our life to grow us and conform us into the image of his son. You talk with people all the time who've gone through Things so difficult that they would not wish them on anyone else and yet they would not go back and undo them because of the place that they're at with God today. So it's a challenge for us to not prescribe to this simple formula but be reminded that God's will is not the same as our prosperity. You could be smack in the middle of God's will for your life today and be facing all kinds of trials and pain and heartache. And I'm sure you could also supply me the name of somebody who cares nothing about God and yet seems to have anything and everything they want. And you know, if it'd be easy for Jacob in this situation to look at Esau and wonder those same things, and it's the same for us today. It's really that easy, isn't it? For us to slip into this place and go, God, why do people who love you, who genuinely want good things to happen to others, have to experience such hard, difficult things while other people seem to float through this life without a care in the world and they haven't thought twice about you? It's a powerful, powerful reminder in this text that that's not how God works. We should actually take it as an encouragement 
If you're going through something like that today, be encouraged. It's because you're a child of God and his number one goal for you is to conform you into the image of his son. God is not concerned about your happiness as much as he's concerned about your holiness. Remember that. That you're experiencing what you're experiencing because you are a child of God. Let's continue reading in here. This section of scripture, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but this first section, uh, verse 9, all the way through verse 43, I'm going to read a couple selected ones here. But they're a description to us of what exactly is going on, not only in Esau's personal life, but in generations to come in Esau's line. And so if you read with me in verse 9, it says, Then these are the records of the generation of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Esau's wife, Ada, Ruel, the son of Esau's wife, Bashama. The sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Verse 12, Timnah was a concubine of Esau's son Eliphaz, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz, father of the Amalekites. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Ada. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, and Zerah, Shammah, and Mesah. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Bashamah. These are the sons of Esau's wife, Ohalabama, the daughter of Anna, the granddaughter of Zibion. She bore to Esau, Jeush, and Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. And then it lists out the chiefs' names. And if you jump over with me to verse 31, it says, Now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. And then it gives us a list of their names, which I'm not going to read this morning. But we have from the text the most important part, and that is a proper understanding of the scope and the power of the Edomites. Esau's line is going to become incredibly powerful, incredibly Mighty. They've gone from the man Esau to five sons to ten grandsons to chiefs over tribes and ultimately kings that are now ruling over the entire nation of Edom. And it gives us a very, very clear understanding of the scope and power. Of Esau's line here. And again, remember where Jacob sat. Chapter 35, God said, I'm going to make you into a nation. And I'm going to make you into a multitude of people. And kings will come from you. And us, just like Jacob, we can slip into this place where we play the comparison game. And it brings us to our third reminder today. We must never confuse God's patience with forgetfulness. Never confuse God's patience with forgetfulness. Jacob's looking at Esau going, God, did I miss something here? I thought you said that the, the covenant was going to flow through me. 
I thought your promises of the nation and the land and the kings, I thought that that was a promise to me. And I look over there, and, I, and you know, without a doubt, Jacob is well aware of what's going on in Esau. Jacob is a man just like we are. We keep a very long list and a record of who has what and who doesn't have what, right? We know what we have and what we don't have and what other people have that we wish we had. And Jacob looks over and he sees his brother Esau and he's like, wait a second. I don't have a nation. I've just got 12 sons here. I don't have any chiefs. I don't have any land. I'm still hanging out in tents and God keeps kicking me out of places and moving me all around. And I sure don't have kings. We're still shepherds. So you can see how Jacob could quickly move into this place of questioning God. God, have you forgotten that you actually made the promise to me? Because it sure looks like you're fulfilling that promise in Esau. Esau's got all the people. He's got all the land. He's got all the kings. And the audacity of God and all this not to go, you know what, Jacob? You're right. Let's get you going. Let's get you some tribes. Let's get you some kings right now. You know, that's not what happens. If you know your Bible, God works in complete opposite direction. How about we take you down to Egypt for 400 years first? And instead of being the leader of a nation and the father of kings in this moment, how about you go become slaves for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Esau had eight consecutive kings before Israel had one. And again, we could be tempted to think, God, have you forgotten? But remember that God is patient because God is always working on something. Book of Habakkuk tells us that. I love the book of Habakkuk when he questions God. And God tells Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. The same is true in Jacob's life. Jacob, you will never personally see this promise fulfilled. Jacob will be dead and gone for hundreds of years before Israel has its first king. You'll never personally experience any of this, but I promise you, I'm going to do it. And so Jacob doesn't have in his hand the possession, but he has in his hand the promise that God had made him. And remember, when we started this whole sermon this morning, we said that Jacob's ultimate test was going to be, is he going to believe what he sees with his eyes and he feels in his heart, and his emotions, or is he going to trust in what God has said? And that's the powerful reminder for all of us. This morning, as we continue to go through this, not to confuse God's patience with forgetfulness. God has not forgotten the promises that he's made to you. Even if it feels 
like maybe he's forgotten about you. He hasn't. And again, God is not so much concerned about us having any possession in this life. But God is concerned about making sure that he delivers on the promise that we have for eternity. So no matter how you feel or what you see when you look around, be reminded that God has not forgotten. And be reminded that God is never in a hurry. But his timing is always perfect. Never in a hurry. But his timing is always perfect. I remember when I was growing up, we used to uh, learn or be taught that uh, God answers prayers in three ways, right? Yes, no, and later. And I don't know about you, but the way that I'm wired, I can deal with a yes. Those are good. And I can even deal with a no. But I struggle the most with a later. Waiting on the promises of God is one of the most unbelievably difficult things that we can go through. And it's what Jacob's experiencing here and something that Esau doesn't have to experience. But you know what? Esau has everything that he's going to have in his lifetime. The difference between Jacob and Esau is not what they had while they were alive, but what they have after they pass on into eternity. And that's the challenge for us in here as believers. We're in the same boat that Jacob is. We might not have a lot in possession right now, but what we do have in our hand is a promise that God has made to us. And that promise is that if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, you will have eternal life. And it's not about what we get now, but what God has for us later. So that's what I want to ultimately challenge you with this morning. Is do you have all of your possessions in hand today? Or do you have in your possession a promise for the future? And I pray that us as a church family, that our preference would be in the future. I would rather have nothing this world has to offer and Jesus Christ than everything this world could give me without him. And so that's my question to you here this morning. Do you have in your hand all of your possession or is your most treasured possession a promise for your future? One final thing as we wrap up this morning is we must never confuse God's grace with a lack of justice. We've come full circle. While in Esau's lifetime, he experienced God's kindness, and God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, there is coming a day of judgment, both for Esau and every person who's ever lived, including Esau's entire line. You see, Esau's line, they had all that they could handle in possession. But a day of judgment was coming for them because of their treatment of God's people. In the book of Exodus, God says, 
time's up. Enough is enough. And God's long-suffering and his patience runs out. And God said, no longer will the nation of Edom be anything. I will wipe it from the face of the earth. That's what the book of Obadiah is all about. And judgment is coming for Esau. The same is true for all of us in this room. What we're experiencing right now is what we call the church age. We're experiencing God's grace and God's kindness and God's long-suffering. He's giving us this time so that we can repent of our sins and follow after him and spend forever with him. But there's a time coming when this all ends and we're no longer able to make the decision to follow Jesus anymore. You see, every single person in this room will die. And every single, in this per- every single person in this room will stand before the greatest judge, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And the Bible tells us everyone will give account. And our only hope is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so I plead with you this morning... If you've not given your heart and your life to Jesus, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, do it right here today. Do not walk out those doors. You're not promised another breath, another moment. And if you make it to that place, there's no more chances. But the good news today is that we're still in that grace of God. God's long-suffering for us hasn't ran out yet because he hasn't returned yet. So do business with God today. If you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, come down here and talk to Pastor Travis or myself. You know what? We've got a baptistry right over here. That water is still warm. And like Brian this morning, you could come talk to us about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ And I would love to be late to lunch because we need to baptize you. But this is your time this morning. As as Roy and the team comes this morning, I pray that that you would ask the Holy Spirit to search you and to know you. To be very, very specific. Where I've been general, I pray that the Holy Spirit is specific in your life. For some of you, maybe you just need to come down here and pray and ask God to break your heart for the lostness of people around you. Because if we're truly honest, maybe we've gotten to a place where we're not so tolerant of those around us. And we're a little agitated because of things going on in our country and all those things. But listen, God's heart has not changed. And you might be irritated and you may wish upon people what they deserve, but that's not God's heart. God's heart is that they would experience kindness so that they would be led to repentance. You need the same heart. Maybe you need to come down here and pray and ask God to give you that heart and to break your heart for those who don't know him again so that we have more testimonies like Brian people who come to saving faith in Christ this week because of God's kindness and patience. 
Like I said, you can be baptized, and maybe you need to talk to us about giving your heart and your life to Jesus, or maybe you've been around here for a while, and you just want to know more information about joining this church family. Any of those things, we would love to talk to you about. Let me pray, and then we'll respond. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I pray, as I said, God, that your Holy Spirit is working right now, God, that you're being very specific where I was general. And God, when you tell the people what you're calling them to do, I pray for boldness. Boldness to put it into action. God, we want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. So I pray that you'd guide this time, bless this time. Thank you for how you've even moved already this week and this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.